Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rainbow. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 410. Coming to you after the 2021 Pac-12 Media Day in Hollywood. We're going to talk about it and look forward to the start of USC football here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play. Wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, second what's burn show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined with my co-host here in the Rain of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Elisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we are back, of course. We were back last week. And more importantly, we say this every single year. We've been going to Pac-12 Media. This was my, my 10th Pac-12 Media Day, by the way. No way. I think it's been was, that long. This was like your eighth. Jeez. It, I no, was, no, 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 no. Because last fifth. year there was not one. No Pac 12 Media Day. So ninth and seventh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Still. Anyways, the point of all this is that we say it every year on the podcast this is the unofficial start of football season. Unofficially, yes. The, the, signal has been has been lit the flare has gone up and it is lit it's it's lit fam yeah litty litty fam 100 percent. they say fall starts when uh on labor day because you can't wear white after labor day i say no it starts when football season starts yes when fall when when does football season start well it should start that that saturday before labor day right no it starts Football season starts when Pac-12 Media Day happens. Which is to say at the end of July. Yeah, so it's fall. It's officially the fall. It's officially fall. Yeah. So our, our friend Simon Jabari from Traveler Hitch Thursdays, mm-hmm. who loves to whine mm-hmm. about how the Pac-12, uh, not the Pac-12, all these... College football. College football in general, uh, does this thing called fall camp and holds fall camp in August... And it shouldn't be called fall camp because it takes place in the summer. It should be called summer camp, even though I told him that that's where you send a fat kid is summer camp. I, I, I can say that I've been sent to fat camp. Well, see, the thing is, though, like summer camps aren't just fat camps. There's a lot of varying kinds of summer camps. So Sure, but my experience send a kid to summer, summer camp. camp, not a pleasant one. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I used to have to go to Y camp. I mean, I why camp sucked. I never went to summer camp, so maybe you were the privileged one. That, never uh, ever, never ever went to a summer camp. You, my friend, are a lucky person. <laughs> it always seemed cool. Uh, the other kids at my school enjoyed it. I guess. No, I hated it. 
Oh. Anyways, well. the, the point is, it's fall, baby. It is. The football season is officially begun because the unofficial start of football season is Pac-12 Media Day. And as we know, fall begins when football season starts. So it's fall. It's fall. That is That right there is the judge knocking it down. Fall. That was the gavel? Yeah. It's that, fall. I mean... I I agree. I don't, I don't. Are you arguing with with someone right now? I'm arguing with our friend Saman, well, who gets mad that it shouldn't be called fall camp. It should be because it's fall, baby. Well, okay, it's fall camp because it's in preparation for the fall, or it already is fall, or it already is summer, fall because what, what, it's football season, which starts at Pac-12 Media Day in Hollywood this year at the W, across the street from the Pantages. By the way, I heard someone say pantages once. <laughs> Drove me insane. Pant- so, pantages. Like, like someone saying the 101? Well, to be fair, I called the 101 freeway the 101 to screw with you. Yeah. On purpose. So That's you're called saying, the troll. So you're saying because somebody said pantages and it wasn't uh, like ironic or or a troll, then that's the bad bit. Pantages sounds like uh, I don't want to. I mean, it doesn't sound it good. Like. It doesn't sound good. You no. don't want a pantages. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Are we just de- like delaying at this point talking about Pac-12 Media Day though? Because like the 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 dirty secret of Pac-12 Media Day in this current era is that very little interesting get things get said. Like, it's a great experience to go to Hollywood. Uh, I love the swag. This year they had, what, uh, Brookies? Were they Brookies? They Whatever were they were called. Brownies Insanely with like a cookie good. on, like yes. a cookie baked on top. In, like, by far, we've been going, going to Pac-12 Media Day for... Many more years than I realized. And like every year they do some sort of weird, you know, gimmick like dessert kind of thing. Right. They've done ice cream that was good. They've done like donuts. They've done cookies. They've done all sorts of uh, uh, ice cream sandwiches. They've done all sorts of things. And they're all pretty good. This blows all of them out of the water. The Brookies. I, I was skeptical because I don't think inherently combining two good things doesn't always make a, good, a better thing. Yeah. But this. Bro- brookies oh, meaning brownies wow. and cookies. Uh, imagine a muffin in which the stump yes. is a brownie and the top of the muffin, the top of the muffin to you like, like is, is the, the cookie. Like the you, muffin you top. I don't get that. I never no. get your references, Michael. The muffin top is a cookie. Like So like I had a chocolate chip cookie. You had a oatmeal raisin cookie. They had like snickerdoodles and, and other things. But like right. the muffin top is a cookie. And then, like, the muffin stump is a brownie. And, like, think of, like, the best chocolate chip cookie you've ever had in your life. And the best brownie. And then stick that on top of the best brownie you've ever had in your life. And that's the brookie that we had. Mind you, Domino's has this thing where it's, like, the marble brownie cookie thing. That is incredibly good. It's a combination of brownies and chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. But it's it's marbly, so it's it's both of them. It's not a, it's this you literally get the best of both worlds because you literally yeah. you get to like like break off the sides of the cookie and it feels like you're eating a chocolate chip cookie. The point yeah. being that brookies are my new favorite thing. 
Um, decent swag this year. Not gonna lie. I mean, it's pretty good. I we got it. blue block uh, Pac-12 glasses. Yeah, legit. Uh, they it, it had we have little vials of like sunscreen and bug spray and hand sanitizer and after sun lotion and just a whole kit that's pretty legit the usual pen great notebook again this year um yeah no complaints the swag's good the bags that they gave us the little shoulder bags pretty decent i like them um so so swag is good the lunch pretty decent probably better food than we've had the last few years so good on the w for that um the, Would you say it was a W all around? It was it was a W all. The venue, I think, was a W all around. I think you and our buddy Jake from the What's Bruin show would complain about the temperature of the main ballroom, which... A little warm. Normally, little warm. the temperature of the main ballroom is somewhere south of sub-zero. Right. Yeah, and which, not always ideal, south of the border. Except if you're a Rotbot, because this episode is brought to you by Manscaped, and our Rotbots need to be prepared, and they can be with Manscaped for the summer. We're in the middle of the summer. Get ready for the football season when you got to be out there and all prepared with your Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped, which has everything inside. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, plus two free gifts, a performance boxer briefs, and a shed travel bag. That stuff will help you below the belt. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about uh, any nicks or cuts or anything like that because of a cutting-edge ceramic blade on the Lawnmower 4.0. It's got a, a switch with a travel lock so that it doesn't go off crazily in your in your luggage. It's got an LED spotlight. It's got everything you could hope for in a uh, in a trimmer. Yeah, absolutely. And you can get it all uh, starting at 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Achieve pubic glory this year with Manscaped. Proud sponsor of the Rain of Troy Radio podcast. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. Let's start talking about the news, shall we? All right, Alicia, the Pac-12 Media Day kicked off in the morning on Tuesday, uh, bright and early, 8 o'clock. George Klavkov. I hope I'm getting that right for the millionth time. Klavkov. Yes, I think you got it right. Klavkov. Uh, the Pac-12's new Pac-12 commissioner came out and he was swinging from the hip, firing away, and I would say he did a pretty good job. He he said the things that people wanted to hear Larry Scott say but never did. He came out and said, parity is good for having a lot of good teams. Having a lot of good teams is not overall good for the conference when you want to get into the playoff. Uh, he said that they are going to prioritize getting into the playoff over everything else. He was talking about uh, wanting an expanded um, college football playoff. He talked about he was asked about expansion. He said the the conference doesn't necessarily need to expand right now, but they they also need to look at every option. Uh, he was asked about pack uh, sorry Big Twelve schools 
that are now in limbo after Texas and Oklahoma have left, and could the Pac-12 scoop them up? He wouldn't comment on any school specifically, but noted that AAU accreditation is not a prerequisite like has been bantied about, uh, citing that it wasn't a thing for Utah at the time uh, when they were brought into the conference a decade ago. So overall, football, basketball, those are the priorities he, he set forth while still emphasizing the Olympic sports. It, it very much felt like a press conference in which somebody said, okay, don't do the things Larry Scott did and do the things that Larry Scott didn't. And that's what George K. went out and did. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It was the opposite of a Larry Scott Pac-12 address at Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, he used the word hyper-focus on football and men's basketball, the revenue sports. He 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 reiterated that several times. The revenue sports, the football and men's basketball are the priority. And he basically acknowledged that you need those sports to be strong in order for the conference to be strong and that the Olympic sports and all of those other sports that the Pac-12 wins championships in every year, that those are benefited by football and men's basketball being big, by those injecting cash into the universities, into the athletic de- athletic departments around uh, the Pac-12. So it was a really welcome sort of tone that, 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 that was taken from the Pac-12 officials. And it felt like a bit of a sea change. And one thing that I think that, uh, you know, Larry Scott, got a lot of flack for all the time, but that I think people may have overlooked is that the commissioner is really just a reflection of the presidents of the, 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 the people he answers to are the university presidents, just like uh, the, the NFL commissioner answers to the owners, the MLB commissioner answers to the owners, uh, the N- NBA commissioner just answers to the owners. Well, it's the same situation with the Pac-12 commissioner. He answers to the, the Pac-12 presidents so the talking points that Larry Scott was putting out there would have been driven in some way by the desires of those presidents. Surely at least signed off on. Yeah, signed off on yeah. or or whatever. So either, and either way, this is good for the conference, either George Klyavkov has come in and absolutely changed the minds of all of the Pac-12 presidents to be on board with this idea of the revenue sports have to matter and that they have to be strengthened and that we need to be pushing for all these things. Or the Pac-12 presidents have realized that they had been going about it all the wrong way and had their sort of come to Jesus moment and hired a commissioner who was ready to follow through on these new talking points that the uh, that the Pac-12 has now clearly agreed on among the 12 presidents and athletic directors. Yeah, the reality is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that... When you look at the changing of the guard in the Pac-12 with Dan Guerrero gone, uh, Pat Hayden and Lin Swan gone, Mike Bone in, uh, and and Jarmond over at, Jarmond. UC- yeah. at UCLA, like there's there's new ads, Pat Chun at, at Washington State, new ads throughout the conference, really, right? And that helps change kind of the the perception, new blood, new outlooks. At the same time, uh, George Klyavkov can come in and say, th- this is what I need to do uh, in, in his interview uh, and win over minds that way. So it's a mixture of both. Well, and uh, if it's, I'm, it's not just one of those things. If I'm sure. George Klyavkov or any other 
person who was interviewing for the commissioner job, I don't take that job unless they tell me that they want to put an emphasis on football and men's basketball. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't want to deal with it because if I if I'm coming in and I'm expected to negotiate a media rights deal for the Pac-12 networks, I need to be able to show that I have better products in football and basketball and not just having to say, well, we're good in gymnastics, but that's not going to sell a media rights deal. And uh, and that's ultimately what what George Klyovkov's job is going to be in. And it's it's a relief that the Pac-12 president seemed to or at least the, the conference seems to be acknowledging that this is something that they have to do and that this is right. the approach that they have to take. Yeah. The only thing that I will say, and I, I want to stress this. I said this when Mike Bone got hired too. It is so easy, 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 easy to declare George Kiyavkov the greatest commissioner in the world because he's not Larry Scott. Well, I don't think that's what anyone's doing. No, but... but when, at, what, you need to be able to turn up to Pac-12 Media Day and say that football and basketball matter. No, like, that's y- it. Yes, but what I'm saying is... It's not as simple as just saying that. Saying that is one step of the thing. Well, yeah, of but you course. But you need to talk about it and then be about it, too. Yeah, so, but you can't be about it unless you're talking. Like, I don't believe no, you're going to be about it unless I you're agree. talking about it. I agree. It. So I, I am, I am it's just a saying. Step in the right, it's a step in the right direction. The The big the big question that, that the conference is going to face, aside from it, it, how can they negotiate a media rights deal, but it's going to be, is it going to be a media rights deal for Pac-12 or is it going to be a media rights deal for Pac-16, a Pac-20 for a big Pac or a whatever, whatever it comes out to be? Because expansion is going to be the thing that consumes the next, you know, or the foreseeable future right? Uh, because the Pac-12 has a decision to make. And I thought it was interesting that, that Klyavkov said that they don't view expansion as strictly necessary. But they have had in- no, I don't either. Well, they, they've had interest from schools that are are asking about the viability of them joining. And it's worth noting that he said that there's a high bar for entry, so they're not just going to let anybody in, but they're definitely going to consider some of these schools. And I think that this is going to be a, a really worthwhile debate to have because I'm kind of on the fence on all of this. Like, I think that there is an argument to say don't expand for the sake of sake of expanding. If you're not going to get a Texas or an Oklahoma, don't bother adding Texas Tech and TCU. Like that's those aren't big enough fish. Right. On the flip side, if the SEC is 16 teams and the Big 12 goes to the Big 10 goes to 16 teams, or they're already at 14. Uh, yeah. If, if if these if if the if the other conferences are expanding. And you are going to stay pat at 12 and get sort of swallowed up at some point or lose your sort of quote unquote power five status. You need to be very careful about that, too. And there's and there is um, something to having the Texas footprint in your media landscape. I think there's there's an argument for that being there. Is it a good enough argument to go through the whole expansion rigmarole? I don't know. But I think that both sides of this argument, I'd like to see it vigorously debated. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm hmm. How, how do I put this? I don't think you should expand just to expand. Um I I think that there's a way that the Pac-12 can expand uh and improve and improve their stature. And to me the only way to do that is to have some mega conference that is in partnership with the Big 10. 
and you say, you know what, we're going to make a 26 or 28 team conference with the Big Ten, and it's going to be split in two. It's going to be like the American League and the National League, where the teams play very minimally, uh, and they meet they meet in the championship game that is at the Rose Bowl as a Rose Bowl proxy. It feels like history. Uh, maybe you move Nebraska over to the the Pac-12 side of it, so that way you've got Nebraska and Colorado back as rivals or whatever. I think that's the only play that sort of makes any sort of sense because if the SEC is at 16 teams and the Big Ten holds firm at 14, what is the what is the difference between being the Pac-12 or the Pac-14 with Texas Tech and Oklahoma State or the Pac-16 with Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Uh, mind you, that includes two religious schools that the Pac-12 has never had. Uh, like, I, you know, like... See, like, my thing is, it's I, I, those schools... Uh, see, I would argue, and again, I'm not sold on any of this, but I would argue that those teams have proven they can be... They can be in a national, you know, top 10 conversation. TCU has been up there. B- Baylor has been up there. Uh, sure, Texas yes. Tech has been up there. Like... Those are teams that, theoretically, from a football perspective, could add cachet. Every one of them has been ranked number two in the last 15 years. Yes, and I think think half of them lost on that same weekend (laughs) in in 2007. So, like, uh, you know, but the point is that, that... if you're trying to build your football brand, I think you're 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 you would potentially be adding some football, some interesting football uh, pieces there. Um, you'd be able to negotiate your media rights with Texas markets in mind, but- and you you could potentially like instead of having. So here's the Pac-12's problem right now. The Pac-12's problem is that everybody is sort of mediocre, and you don't have anybody who's sort of taking a step above. So you're relying on, okay, so if Stanford's down and the Arizona schools are down and, you know, the Oregon states and Washington states of the world are just kind of meh and UCLA is UCLA and USC isn't like a a top five team, you're sort of in this this limbo where you're like, okay, so who are you going to rely on? Well, those are some more football-centric schools that you could potentially rely on to be well, these guys are going to be top 15. Right. So there, there is some cachet there that might make it worth it. I say might because I think you bring up a good point. But it's that, not going to affect the bottom line. Well, and that's the thing is if, if the bottom line is... The SEC is adding OU and Texas. Well, and that's the thing. If, if the SEC is adding OU and Texas, that means that OU and Texas are not going to be... are not going to factor in as a Power 5 conference champion from the Big 12 that's taking one of the playoff spots. And if the if the overriding desire of the Pac-12 commissioner, which is what he stated, is to get playoff spots, right? And they're expanding the playoff from four to 50,000 or somewhere in between that. You don't necessarily need to be in a super conference to place your champion in the playoff. Your champion's going to end up in the playoff if you're well, the Pac-12. But, but that argument more teams or means more chances, but... The, the, the but, the, but the key is the you need to, like, I, again, I think staying pat at, at 12 is fine, but you need those 12 to be stronger than they currently are, because if you continue right. on this trajectory, you're going to end up being 
a group of five level level where you can have an undefeated champion and no one's going to take him seriously. Like that's the, the, the line you need to walk. I, I, again, that is the ultimate ridiculous example. You're never going to have an undefeated undefeated power five champion. No, not going to be taken. Uh, no, yeah, no. But are you power five? Like, how long do you retain being power five if you don't? Get your act together on the football side of things. Is SE in the conference? It's a power well, five conference. Yeah, that's fine. But my, my point is that if you wanted to strengthen in in the short term, in terms of short term injection of strength in the football brand, I think you add the Texas schools. But you don't need to do that I if just, everyone else I is taking know, things what more is seriously. It See, the way I look at it, there's two possible scenarios going forward in the history of college football. Either you do get to the amoeba that is the weird uh, Super League proxy NFL 2.0. You got 32 of the best programs and you just take the top half of the the Power Five. So uh, SC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington... Uh, ASU, Stanford, and, and and that's it, right? Like yeah. those schools get in along with the best schools of the SEC, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, it, whatever, right? And you end up with with that i that i ideal idealistic view of of what college football could be, right? That's one possibility. I don't want that possibility, but that's one no. possibility. Well, you realize that, that's where we're headed, though, but because that, that's ultimately that's where, where Texas looks and like things are, are headed, right? Like, like Texas, that seems more likely than anything else. Which means, why do you waste your time by going to the Pac-16 when that Pac-16 doesn't include Texas? It doesn't include Oklahoma. It includes Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and potentially TCU and Baylor, two schools that do not jive with anything that you stand for academically. So, and and. I mean, not to be smirch Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, but they don't either. Yeah. And so you look at everything that this conference has stood for, and I get that football, 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 that needs to be the focus. But it's always it's not it's not going to ever solely be that as long as you have a conference with Stanford, uh, Cal, number one public school in the world. They well, love to okay, tell people so that, what, right? So like, what, matters, what matters more that you put a bar on your entry for the Pac-12 I don't think it matters more. Athletics. I think it's just a factor, right? Right, but like ac- academics, like Vanderbilt doesn't win more games in the SEC because they have good academics. Like if you right, are an athletic... Right, but the SEC doesn't prioritize that. Right, but if you're an athletic stuff. conference, if you are an athletic conference, that's not your 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 remit. Your remit is not to be the, the top... Um, you know, research institutions I, I, in the country. I, I don't know though. that that's I, your I remit. Think that, I think the the Pac-12, as it stands, they are like-minded universities that like to play athletics together. Yeah. Now it's in their best in interest, yeah. business-wise. That's what I'm saying. To be good and make a lot of money, and so yes. that's why, like, I think that it's that's good and that that's the re- benefit. No, but yeah. that, that's all I'm saying. The benefit is that what, going to give you a, that much more money? What you well, and that's the calculation that they need it's to do. It's four more miles to feed. Yeah, and that's the calculation so you're that they're going to have to do. So you're things by 16 instead of 12. So then right, you're banking you, on making but, even more money, and you're talking about getting into the Texas market. Really? Texas Tech? Lubbock? Lubbock is is the key to the Texas market? Are you kidding me? Just just being in Texas. Will First be- of all, 
I I understand the whole market. Texas thing. Tech is also the 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 least of the things that I'm talking about. No, like, I, I get that, but I like, under, I understand my, the my whole. My point is, uh, like, I agree with you that this doesn't necessarily pay off. But if you're the Pac-12, you cannot get left behind. You can, and you no, are in danger but, but, of being of being left behind. Because by what? What else is happening? By a super conference. Because maybe one day USC turns around and says, "Screw this!" Instead of going independent. When that happens, you react to, to that. Well, no, you, you have get to know. No, you have to be ahead of that before USC even thinks. Right, to but leave for the Texas super conference. Tech and Oklahoma State and TCU and Baylor does nothing to prevent that. Well, I don't. It does nothing to get on the level the, of staying the on the Pac-12. Doesn't it? Does nothing to get on the level of the, the Big Ten. Staying as the Pac-12 doesn't necessarily keep you from that path either. No, this is a but it allows you flexibility going forward because this is clearly a changing landscape. Well, why wouldn't you have flexibility? I mean, it's not like anybody is going to stick around like, with the. Why with, are you rushing to a decision to just grab a Because there schools. are going to be four, t- four Big 12 orphans sitting out there, floating out there, and somebody's going to have to do something with just them. Just because they're orphans doesn't mean they're worth saving. Well, somebody's going to have to make that decision. And all I'm saying is, I would be very curious. The Pac 12 is correct. To keep their options open and do a yes. cost-benefit analysis. And I, I don't agree. know I what agree. that cost-benefit analysis is going to come. They could come back and say, you know what? Our media rights deal is going to increase significantly if we go ahead and, and pick up those schools. Or they could come back and say, you know what? Our media rights deal isn't actually going to change at all by picking up those four schools and let that govern it. But, like, the point is that there is a universe in which picking up the TCUs of the world might do you some good because you're trying to build legitimacy as a football power. Getting and you can't Texas rely on Tech is going to be the what what makes the Pac-12 well, legitimate. TCU is a strong program. Baylor is a strong program. Texas Tech has a brand. Oklahoma State is a strong football program. Like these are not this is not the bottom dwellers of the Big Twelve. Those programs are all better than ASU and Arizona right now. They're better than Washington State and well maybe not Washington State but they're better than than the brands of of Oregon State and Cal. So if you're trying to build a football brand, if you're trying to sell your Pac-12 network as a football uh, uh, product, then yes, maybe there are maybe ESPN or CBS or one of those things does want to have Texas Tech and TCU and Oklahoma State and and Baylor on on the board. I don't know. I think there's a I, very distinct possibility that might be the case. I, I, I'm I'm not disparaging the idea that bringing those teams makes improves what you have. What I'm saying is, compare it to the SEC adding Texas. You're and not. Oklahoma. You're not going to come. You're there. There no, is like, no. You you've lost Oklahoma and Texas. That right. that ship is is, is right. gone. So which, you is, can't, which is why I think you have to you wait for the ultimate answer. And the ultimate answer is buddying up with the big Big Ten, uh, or but the ho- Big Ten is hoping that some su- stupid super league comes. The, to the Big Ten has already said they're not interested in expansion. No, but they they could be interested in a partnership, and the partnership could be something that includes media rights. Like this thing, this whole thing has plenty. Yeah, of but we don't to, even know to, the timeline on the Big Twelve yet. This could happen in twenty twenty five, and at that point, maybe you you will have explored more, all your options. More power to what I'm saying. Yeah, like, no, I, I just don't understand. I am like, not saying that USC that the the Big Twelve no, or the Pac twelve should turn around tomorrow and add these schools. All I'm saying is, I think there is a world. In which adding those schools is the best move for the Pac-12. I th- surely there could be a world where that. Yes, that's all that I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I don't think it's a likely world to exist. Well, it, but it's a po- potential world to exist. Sure. 
What, what do you guys think? Do should the Pac-12 expand and bring in some some Big Twelve leftovers, or not? Should the Pac-12 uh, stay stay put? Should they look for different options? Should they butter up the Big Ten and and talk about this partnership? What is what what is the alter, the alternative? We want to hear what you guys have to say. Email us rainofdroitfansi.com. Be sure to call us two one three. Three seven three one eight seven two. Uh, the other thing to get into from Pac-12 Media Day was USC having a chat. Uh, Clay Helton was there along with Keaton Slovis and his favorite wide receiver Drake London. You were with the Clay Helton uh, presser. I went over to where Keaton and Drake were. What was your takeaway with uh, Clay Helton and, and company? Have you ever heard a Clay Hilton press conference, listener, dear listener? Have you ever heard it? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Close your eyes and imagine that press conference. Uh, now repeat it 50,000 times I, 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 over I five it. years. I got it, yeah. And got that's it. the press conference that we heard at Pac-12 Media Day. All right. Literally, I mean, like, and I don't know, I don't want to be unkind to, to Clay Hilton, because as I reiterate, every time we talk about him, I think he's a very nice man. But, like, if you've heard one press conference at this point, you've heard them all. And maybe if this was, like, the first press conference, it would have been impressive. But now it's just tired. It's just, I'm just, it's just tired. Like, the whole, the whole deal is just tired. There, there, there's nothing to glean. Nothing to, how long were those media sessions? 30 minutes? Something like that. Literally zero to glean. Zero to glean of anything. There was no injury updates. Uh, he, he talked about how the defense is is uh had a chance to sort of pick up the the attitude of of todd orlando which we've heard before so i don't know if i'll believe that i mean he talked about how keaton had a chance to continue developing well you've heard that before so whatever i mean i'm not trying to cape here he big up the strength and conditioning which we've heard that before so i I don't know i don't know what he's supposed to say so it's like i'm not accusing him of like doing something wrong it's just i just it's just very tired at this point and and what i would say is i don't know how like last season set up a situation in where i mean apart from winning the final game against oregon um, obviously, uh, SC was put in a situation where it was going to be difficult to win the off season after that, in the sense of they only had so few, so many games to play. Uh, they played a season in which in a lot of ways, it was the same old USC In a lot of ways. It wasn't the, they, they had some fight at the end of games and pulled games out in spectacular fashion that lesser teams haven't done but they weren't uh, uh, a a team that was you know worthy of going undefeated in the regular season like they did a shortened one albeit at that but there were so few games so little opportunity to actually get the monkey off their back right to prove the all these things wrong um and and mind you with all the with the minimal amount of changes that they had, we we were always doubting that they were going to be able to do that anyways. So you include minimal changes. You you look at a season in which 
They only played a handful of games. It was always going to end up a case where it was going to be unsatisfying in some sense. And it ended up being an unsatisfying season to the max, right? And so going into the season, I don't know how you can look at these sort of things and and come up with a game plan of what to say that is satisfying. Uh, and, and Keaton Slovis was asked about things, and he talked about, well, you know, this year I'm, you know, trying to get back to improve his velocity and his accuracy, pretty much ad- admitting that the the Holiday Bowl injury against Iowa at the end of 2019 was still a lingering factor in last season, which I, I think kind of gives some hope because if he can, you know, truly they're get, finally ready to admit that. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit late, right? But but if that's a thing where he, he can get back to the level that he was and and get back his accuracy and his velocity and all those kind of things, that's a big step forward. But but at the same time, like again, you only had so many games to talk about. Like I, this is a situation. This is a no win situation for USC, no. and and we knew this going into media day, and we've known this going into to signing day. We knew this going into spring camp. We're knowing this going into fall camp. There's a no win situation until you get to a point where you can actually win games. And it's not like even week one is a no win situation because you beat San Jose State and people are going to go shrug, whatever. Week two is a no win situation because you're going to beat Stanford. No one's going to care. Like you literally have a no win situation every week from now until Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. And then people are going to be like, yeah, but Ian Book's not on the team. Yeah. Yeah. And and so then it's going to be a no win situation until you get to uh, the Pac 12 title game. And then. And then you got to sort of exercise a demon against uh, Oregon yeah, potentially. It's like, just to the point where they have to. to you have prove like two. Things, you have two right? opportunities to win between now and December, the first weekend of December. Literally two opportunities to win, and all every other week from there in between is an opportunity to lose. So like, it's just it's it, it's, it's a dour way to look at it, but but it's the it's the way things have have been set up when. You know, you're you're so far deep into uh, a regime that a lot of people look at, and we've mentioned a bunch of times before, it's kind of gotten stale, even though SC has pieces that are worth genuinely being excited about, like yeah. Drake London and Drake Jackson and IPM and Keaton Slovis when he's healthy and Keontae Ingram. There's a lot of players to feel good about. Yeah. It's just a situation where you're like, are they going to get the most out of all those players consistently? That's the question. And I think it's it's a, it's a little bit of a bummer that SC's in the situation where they have so many players to be excited about, and yet there's just this perpetual, like, meh-ness around everything. Well, yeah, and I think you see that in the Pac-12 media poll, because the Pac-12 media poll picks USC to win the South – but Oregon to win the conference. And like, I think USC winning the South is like almost like a default vote. It's just like, well, you're going to pick ASU. They're in turmoil. Who knows what's going on with them? Um, are you going to pick Utah? Uh, I mean, you, I, I would bet on Kyle Whittingham, but there's so many unknowns for them. Are you going to pick UCLA? They'd, they'd be a 
bit of a dark horse coming through. So who are you going to pick? Well, USC has all USC has Keaton Slovis, the first team preseason well, all Pac-12. Isn't this the craziest thing that there's? I think there's intriguing options in the Pac-12 South. I genuinely think it's going to be a fascinating division because yes. I don't know what to expect against UCLA. UCLA could go ten and two. They could go or two and two ten, and, 10 and, and I wouldn't be shocked either way. Yes. And you can say the same thing about ASU. You can almost say the same thing about in, Utah. It's entirely like, possible that ASU, Utah, and USC are all just sort of like in that medium. Like, eight. You, what was yeah, the year? But, what was the year? Was it 2013 SC, that everyone was eight and four and it was like a super tiebreaker to decide who would go? Like, that's what I feel like this year is going to be. Everyone's just going to be eight and four with but it. But the irony is that despite all of that, despite there being, you know, upshots at UCLA and ASU and Utah where you can look at and talk yourself into picking those teams. At the end of the day, USC is a thousand percent the more reliable team out of any of those. And this is an SC team that we talk about is not reliable. Right. Like that's that's, how weird the Pac-12 South is. Because USC has the star talent. But let's talk about the most damning thing from Media Day from Tuesday. What do you think was the most damning thing from Media Day? The all Pac-12 first and second teams and honorable mentions. How many USC offensive linemen were included in any of that? Zero. USC returned four veteran starters, multi-year starters on the offensive line. And I believe the only offensive lineman mentioned on the all on the all-conference team was an honorable mention for Andrew Voorhees. That's it. Like that is an indictment and a half of USC's offensive line. Yeah. Because you you returning USC returning four veteran starters and none of them one of them is worthy of an honorable mention at best that's why there's skepticism around usc that's the issue 100 percent, yeah because you got the first team quarterback you got the first team wide receiver you got first team edge rusher you got i think second team safety second team uh first team db like uh corner and chris Steele, like You've got skill position dudes that that it's very easy to to pick USC to win the South. But then right. you look deeper at some of the key positions and you're just like, geez, that's a problem. Like that's that's an issue. And, you know, for all we know, those guys are gonna prove everybody wrong and turn out perfect under Clay McGuire. I wouldn't bet on it, but you know, maybe they maybe they find their groove, but like until they do, you can't bet on USC and you and you and you and and that's causing this whole offseason to have like a just, uh, I mean, how do you even get excited about anything? Is this the least excited you've been about a football season ever? Ever, yes. Ever, yes. And that's on top I'm of, I'm not like, excited about this at the all. COVID season. The COVID season, I was at least excited about, like... There was anticipation There was of anticipation like, of, like, what, like what's it going to look like? Sure, like, what, yeah. You know, I don't think what I've gone into take? an off-season. Or gone into a season. Because, you know, yeah. it's an unofficial start of football yes. season. The offseason's over. Yeah, fall is here, baby. I don't think you can look at it and say this is one of those off seasons where you're just champing at the bit to get out there, which is which is sad too because you had the COVID situation. Yeah, this is we you, should you, all be like just hyped to get back to a normal football season, right? And and but I'm I just what is there to get hyped? I mean, there are individuals to get hyped about, but there's just like a shadow hanging overhead that's like, well, I'm not even going to get to enjoy the best of Keaton Slovis and Drake London, so 
because they're going to be limited by the sort of albatross hanging around the neck of this entire program. So, I mean, pessimistically, I I mean, I don't want to be, but like, again, I just can't, I can't muster excitement about this season. I'm still going to watch. Still going to, you know, but that's the other thing is like the, the schedule isn't all that exciting. Like, it's just very meh. Like there there isn't a big out of conference game to get excited. The biggest Notre Dame, but I can't even get excited about Notre Dame because I don't think it's going to go well. So like we've talked about this before, but Notre Dame is one of those games where I, I, I don't look at them as a, it's not an out of conference game. No, I don't look at them as an out of conference game because they're just always on the schedule. Yeah. It's like an afterthought weird, like a weird afterthought. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So Anyways, uh, we got some mailbag stuff to get to, so let's get to that up next. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to the mailbag. We got a couple of voicemails. The first one comes from Michael in Iowa. Hey, guys, this is Michael in uh, Iowa, formerly Idaho. I uh, just called out for my congratulations uh, to both of you. I was uh, startled, but not surprised uh, as much as you guys are. I think of you guys as a couple anyhow. Um, anyhow, the question I have in terms of the NIL is how what's going to be the impact of, of, of the te- on the team when some players have and some players don't? It would seem to me it's going to reflect society and that you've got the haves and have-nots, and if the Habs don't hand any money down to the have-nots, but things get pretty divisive. Anyway, that's all I got. Looking forward to the season, even though the games for me are going to start later. Take care. God bless. And again, my congratulations to both of you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, uh, Michael in Iowa. Of all the states you could have moved to, Iowa from Idaho. I hear Indiana's next. I feel it works. Yeah. Man, per- maybe perhaps Illinois. Adding a few uh, syllables there to for Indiana. Illinois would work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for calling and thanks for, uh, thanks for your kind words. Um, I think that, uh, I think that there were already haves and have nots in, in college football locker rooms. So, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, this obviously takes it to another level, but I, I don't think that it's, it's the kind of thing that that's going to cause too much. I mean, you're always going to have people who can't handle other people around them having something that they don't. Like I said, I think that already existed. And I think because of the way that NIL works, um, those opportunities will be available to, to guys if they want to go out and get them. Um, I think that if, you know, you can now start your own YouTube channel, you can now be proactive with your branding. And for some guys, that's going to cash in big time, but for some guys, it's not. And I, I think that for the most part, people deal with that. And it's not going to, like, cause a major problem that we notice it. Uh, Like I said, that kind of, you know, there already were haves and have-nots in locker rooms, so. Yeah, 100%. I mean, because, you know, guys were getting uh, paid under the table throughout college football. And that was just something that had always been a thing, bag men um, and the like. Plus, uh, I mean, the great thing about college football is it is the unifier. It is a unifier of people with a ton of diverse backgrounds. Uh, and it's all about putting those things aside for the betterment of the team. So inherently, college football is about overcoming those kind of things. Um, 
The the awkward thing I thought was when Keaton Slovis and Drake London were together with their uh, media availability, there were a million questions about Keaton Slovis's NIL deal with Clutch Sports to be his representation. Clutch Sports, who famously uh, represents LeBron James. And no questions for Drake London about anything regarding him. Uh, and it's like, Drake London uh, is every bit as marketable as Keaton Slovis is. Uh, so it, it's all about time and, and space and all those things and, and, and when it all comes to be. Uh, Keaton did say that football is his top priority, and so don't expect to hear more about the NIL stuff uh, from him because he's going to be focusing on the on-field product, and there's going to be probably pl- plenty other players who look at it that way. Um, who might not take every second to optimize every moment uh, of their of their their brand because we've seen recruits like that. There's recruits who just want everything to be over, and there's recruits who milk every moment of the attention because that's what they enjoy. Different strokes for different folks, you know. Yeah, abza- absolutely, and and you know all of these guys are on different career paths. Uh, some guys are, uh, you know, speaking of just haves and have nots when you think of families i think some people like keaton slovis or or other guys that have um maybe stable family wealth to to you know settle back on don't need to be as aggressive in pursuing nil deals because their comfort uh from that level won't be impacted there will be some guys who have to be super aggressive with nil deals because it's about feeding their families you know and those are the kind of things that that uh, I think are just a reality. And I think that you would expect the people to be able to to handle that reality. I, I, I think that that's that's going to be the case. I think, like I said, maybe there's a few instances where this becomes an issue. But for the most part, people will have to handle this reality. And, and I think people are capable of handling this reality. I always think of when players leave to the NFL. Uh, very. It is. It is rare for anyone to be smirched the name of anyone going to the NFL. That's why it was such a big deal when when Pete Carroll did it about Mark Sanchez, right? Yeah. And yet, you look at the players, and the players are always like, oh, yeah, go get yours. Go get yours. Go yes. get yours. So yeah. that is very much a mentality amongst the players. So I don't think there necessarily is going to be jealousy about that. And anything that could arise as an issue to me, is a symptom of something else. If if there is some player who gets a bunch of endorsements uh, and it all goes to, to their head or whatever in, in this hypothetical world that you'd see like on a on you know on TV <laughs> on a CW or whatever. Show. Yeah, yeah, like a CW show. Like to me that that is indicative of of uh, you know different types of leadership problems that could happen regardless of, of money being involved. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, again, those are, those are things that are, are preexisting in the sport. And uh, also, I mean, there is a great equalizer in that. I mean, theoretically, everybody who's in college, who's on a team is going to a university with the intention, hopefully of getting their degree which means that financially there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel, even if you're not making big NIL deals, because theoretically you'll have a college degree and, and, and doors opening uh, for that reason. Yeah, 100%. 
Uh, let's go to the next voicemail, which comes from our pals in Frisco, Texas. Hey, Michael and Alicia. This is Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I'm glad you're still doing well. I know it's been a few months since we last heard a podcast, and we really appreciate that we got another podcast this past week. Um, glad you guys are doing well. Congratulations, Mike and Alicia, on your engagement, and cannot wait for the wedding to come soon. Um, just have a couple questions I want to ask you. With the big announcement that Oklahoma and Texas um, did not renew their contract, with the Big 12 and them likely going to the SEC, what should the Pac-12 do? Should they start to think about expanding to 16 teams? And if so, which teams should the Pac-12 consider um, expanding their conference to 16 teams? also have another question I want to ask you guys, considering since you are big fans of Formula One, what were your thoughts on the third season of Formula One, Drive to Survive? Appreciate it. Fight out. Beat the Spartans. Yeah, thanks for calling, as always. Uh, love, love hearing from you guys. Um, Cameron's the best. Yeah, yeah. Frisco, Fris- repping, repping the Frisco. Shout out uh, to, to Hutchins. Hut, ta- shout out to Hutchins, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, we had that big conversation that we had, Michael. Uh, but let's sort of just lock down our our opinions here. Um, I think you know, gun to my head right now, I would say that the Pac-12 should stay pat at twelve teams, um, and just put the focus on maximizing the opportunities for those 12 teams. Put your focus on making sure that Oregon and USC are as powerful as they can be. Put your focus on making sure that your second-tier teams, um, you know, the, the the Washingtons and ASUs and Stanfords of the world, can be in the mix of top 15 teams. Uh, you know, just give the give the current schools the, the, as many resources as you can possibly do. Stay pat unless there's a major sea change, unless something something else changes the equation. Um, that would be my that would be my best guess. Like I said, if they do a cost benefit analysis and decide that a uh, that that the media rights deal will be heavily improved if they have those Texas schools involved, then I think I change my tune. But short of the evidence that that's going to happen, uh then uh then yeah, I think you you stay with 12 and uh you just sort of try to be proactive as possible with opportunities right. because basically where where the Pac-12 failed on this front on the Texas Oklahoma front and quite frankly I just put it out there I think Texas and Oklahoma are making a mistake um I think they are trading in their sort of elite status in the Big 12 for run of the mill status in the SEC that's just my personal opinion um but they started having this conversation with the SEC you know, back channeling behind closed doors. Like where the Pac-12 failed is they didn't catch a whiff of this. Where the Big Ten failed is they didn't catch a whiff of this and try to get in and and create their own scenario. So the Pac-12 needs to keep, you know, keep an eye out for other opportunities and pounce the next time it happens. Be proactive in that sense. But for now, stick with 12. That's what I would say. I agree. Yeah, we agree. Basically what I was saying. I mean, really? I wasn't. I wasn't disagreeing with you. I was just. I know. You're I'm willing. Fight. I, I yeah. I'm willing to say that. Uh, that there's more going on there too. For sure. Uh, now we want to get to the F1 question, but we will have to wait just one second because we got a question on uh, Patreon from Dan. Yeah, Dan says, "What is the death of the Pick Twelve Big Twelve going to mean for non-conference game scheduling across college football?" And uh, thank you for the question, Dan. I think this one's interesting because there are a lot of heavy-hitting 
non-conference series that have been set up over the last few years in response to the college football playoff and the committee and wanting to build resume and 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 uh have a be able to have a schedule that you're not getting knocked by the committee but if you're in the sec with texas and oklahoma in the fold do you really need to take those out of conference matchups i well Knowing the SEC uh, in their MO, no, because... Well, it's funny because they just changed their MO, and now well, they're, they're being incentivized changing, to not do it again. And, and now it's going back the other way, but I I don't know. Okay, I'm torn now that I think about it, because there's more playoff spots, so you're playing for rankings just as much as anything else. So maybe at the end of the day, it all sort of cancels out. I think, I think the biggest thing, and, and I know this isn't necessarily the spirit of the question, but... Texas has deals with SEC teams. Uh, they're supposed to play Alabama in 2022 and 2023. That's off. Um, well, I mean, could it be? I mean, I, I think it... those games might still go ahead because if they're still in the Big 12, I kind of expect the Big 12 to cut them loose sooner than the 2025. I would and be then... shocked if they wait until 2025. No, I, I agree too. So, like, it'll be interesting to see what happens with those games. Texas also plays, let's see. Georgia in 2028 20, and 2029, Florida in 30 and 31. So these teams are already out there on their schedules. It's going to be more openings, which I almost wonder, does does SC benefit um, by those SEC games being taken off uh, like Texas' schedule? If- uh, and, and Oklahoma, I think, has a deal with, Oklahoma, with Alabama too, if I'm not mistaken. So like, do do... Those things get repurposed, or does the SEC add a conference game and yeah. then take away from what they're doing out of college? Well, like, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it all comes to be, whether it be the expanded conference in addition to the playoff, how it changes the mindset there. Yeah, and I don't know that I've seen a realignment um, sort of scenario where people have a good grasp of where will Oklahoma and, and Texas fit into the SEC how will they reorganize their divisions? Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be... The, the one I saw had Alabama and, and Auburn going to the east. Okay. And then plugging in uh, Texas and, and... I think it was Missouri. Oklahoma in the west. Missouri goes to the west. Yeah. Along with the, the new additions. Right. Um, I mean, I just... I can't, you would imagine, right, that those series between Texas and Oklahoma and SEC teams are off because now those are going to be part of the conference slate. And so the question really becomes, is the SEC still going to have that same scheduling, uh, still have those same scheduling parameters? Because Alabama theoretically doesn't need to schedule a program like Texas or Oklahoma. Right. Because they don't need to replace those those series. The, the, I, don't, I don't know, maybe. The other thought, I, I can't imagine this ends up being the case, but I guess, the, I mean, there is precedent for this. Is it possible that those games go through as as non-conference conference games? Well, I was going to ask that. Because, because I want to say Cal and Colorado had games, um, you know, in like 2013 so or something like that. Be... That was after they were scheduled before before Colorado entered the conference, but they still played them, but they just didn't count them as conference games. Well, especially if they're not in the same division. So if you think of it as like a non-conference in conference, so it wouldn't count towards your conference schedule, but you'd still get to play them that season. 
I could see Texas and Oklahoma, Texas and Alabama wanting that still, depending on. Now, you don't, if you're Texas and Oklahoma and Alabama, I don't know that you want to play twice in a year. So, like, maybe it depends on the, maybe they rearrange those dates depending on the cycle, the new cycle that gets created yeah, I, from the conference. But is it, know. but again, this is all, it's all very hard to tell until we have some actual details on A, when will Texas and Oklahoma enter? And B, how will the division shake out? What will right. the scheduling look like in the conference to figure out what's going on outside the conference? Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be something that's going to be interesting uh, to keep an eye on. But um, that around the football side of the mailbag. Thanks, as always, for the questions. Email address is randomtroyatpansetter.com. Phone number 213-373-1872. Alicia, we got to go back to Cameron's call in which he asked us about Season 3 of Drive to Survive. We were all excited. This is the first season in which we we watched... As it was released, uh, a season in which we knew what had happened in real life, because we got into F1 last year uh, after season two of Drive to Survive. So this was more of a, a natural look at it for season three of Drive to Survive. Uh, what was your uh, takeaway? Okay, my first takeaway is that it was still very well done, still supremely enjoyable. Uh, I will say that I enjoyed not knowing anything about F1. And watching those first two seasons, or not anything about F1, but not knowing the storylines of the season, because knowing the storylines of the season, then there was some, like, I couldn't suspend my disbelief with the storytelling. Yeah. There was an episode that was particularly egregious to me. Where the, the they signs where they tried to uh, manu- Where they tried to manufacture this rivalry between, between Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris when... We and, had literally, and I don't doubt that rivalry existed, oh, I think but rivalries, like not to the extent that rivalries that certainly exist. But we to. also went through the entire season seeing them still very firmly in a bromance, and like the show tried to make it out to be like that bromance is now broken or something. It was just like hey, you guys are being overdramatic, and I get that you have to fill something, and you're limited by COVID, and maybe that might be the explanation for all of my complaints from the last season is that COVID meant they didn't get to be there every race weekend. They didn't get to have like they weren't with Mercedes for the most juicy Mercedes storyline of the dang year. So we didn't even get very much about George Russell and the c- catastrophe in Bahrain or was it secure, secure the yeah. secure Grand, Grand Prix. So like th- that was disappointing to me. Uh, but f- aside we from didn't get any of the Hulkenberg COVID stuff, we didn't get Hulkenberg COVID stuff. We didn't like, the things that we didn't get loomed over that season. And again, it could be COVID. It could also just be now that we know all the storylines, we're watching it with a more critical eye instead of just enjoying the storytelling. Right. But objectively, the storytelling is still very good. Yeah. And uh, I thought that uh, the episode about uh, Grosjean's crash, A-plus. I thought was very emotional. Ferrari um, episode? A-plus. The Ferrari episode was, was, yeah. So like, it's still, it's a very, very, very well-made show. Uh it wasn't the strongest season, and that might be a me problem, that might be a COVID problem, that might be a whatever problem. Yeah, I look at Drive to Survive like you just have to understand what it's doing and what it's there for. Uh, one of my frustrations with F1 fandom are the people who um, look at Drive to Survive as like an evil, and I think that's a terrible way to look at it because it's bringing so many new eyeballs into the sport. Not just American eyeballs, surely a bunch of Americans, 
but a bunch of people from around the country and around the world that are being able to watch Drive to Survive and now have a tangible grasp of the sport. Think about how many people you might know that have watched Drive to Survive that now have an opinion about Lando Norris and Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton and, and, and so on that you didn't think had that opinion uh, a, a year ago because maybe they didn't know those people existed, right? I certainly am one of those people. I, I got completely into F1 as a result of the video game and Drive to Survive. Both of those things have got me completely addicted. Um, and now, I mean, and, and literally you are a test case for what F1 wants from Drive to Survive because right. you now have a subscription to F1 uh, TV. TV. Yep. And you... I watched y- the F2 races. You I watched watch the F3 races. You, you I'm are a now, sicko. You are now, you know... You the F1 Fantasy? Yeah. You're now buying the F1 video game. You're now buying F1 um, uh, merchandise. Uh, you know, you're now, like... If if ever an F one race comes to the U S. and it works out with our schedules, we'll we'll be there. So we're gonna they're gonna make ticket sales off of off of us. Uh, if you're an F one fan, and and this is one of my annoyance. This is not just F one fandom. This is all sports fandoms. This stupidity of the uh, bandwagon fans. Like get off your freaking high horse about bandwagon fans. It's good. The more people that like your sport, the better. The more people who support your sport financially, the better. Uh, if people weren't into your sport, if your sport was dying, that would be very, very bad. You want your sport to have growth. You want your sport to be uh, spreadable in that sense. And that can only be a good thing. So get off your high horse about, you know, true fans and bandwagons well, and all that kind of stuff. The, like The thing about bandwagon fans is that might be how someone starts, but it's about how you keep them. Yes. So, okay, someone wants to start as a bandwagon fan, fine. I, we've all started as a bandwagon fan of something. Yes. Now, keep us as a fan. And if you keep us as a fan, then we're no longer a bandwagon fan. You're only a bandwagon fan when you only care about things that are winning. Yes. Uh, when, you know... You're but about things like, that are winning draw people in, and that's how right. you create lifelong yeah. fans. Like, 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 if you're a Bulls fan... Because of Jordan, yeah. you weren't a bandwagon fan. Yeah. If you were a Bulls fan because of Jordan and then became a, a Laker fan because of Kobe, and then you became a Heat fan because of Dwayne Wade, and you just like kept changing your teams based on who was in front, then you're this front-runner bandwagon. But if you became a Bulls fan because of Michael Jordan and that was your team, and and now you're forever a Bulls be, fan? Like, yeah. Then that was just your, your entry point or, into the game, which I mean, is a different thing. Your Cubs fandom. You grew up watching what your Cubs uh, fan. You, I cannot possibly be a, a bandwagon fan. No, that's what, but what, what I'm saying. They don't exist. There's all sorts of bandwagons because the, the you would not be a Cubs fan except that WGN broadcast Cubs games in Los Angeles. Right. So the Cubs being in bed with WGN brought... Fans from Los Angeles into the yeah. into into the Cubs uh, into the Cubs fold. I mean, it's not the same kind of bandwagon, but you're only there because WGN. And I'm not so, alone. I, like almost every Cubs fan I know that's not based in Chicago has the same upbringing as that. Yes, so it's a, the same thing. You have to find any way possible to catch people, any way possible. And if you spurn those opportunities that you have to bring fans in. 
then you are being very short-sighted and, right. and narrow-minded. Yeah. So my, my complaint, to, to go back to, to the F1 thing and Drive to Survive, are the people who think that Drive to Survive is terrible because they do things like making uh, preseason testing sound like it's a competition, uh, and they sometimes can over-exaggerate things like the Lando Nor- Norris versus Carlos Sainz thing, and because they do that, then that proves that they are bad and they're only bringing in bad fans. Like, no, like they can, it, it's all, it's all about understanding what it's for and what it's doing. And if you know that they exaggerate, then just don't take it as seriously. Like it, it's, it's not that difficult. And, and drive to survive too is the other thing is, if you are a Drive to Survive fan and you haven't followed the season, I encourage you to follow the season uh, and become a smarter fan who then can pick up on these things and be like, you know what the interesting thing is? And, and you can you can do this next season when you're watching with your friends and you're like, well, actually, um, I know they're talking about these guys like they hate each other, but they're actually pretty cool. They follow each other on, on, on Twitter. You, do you know that they, they stream on Twitch together? Like, you can say those kind of things. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's fun. So point is go watch the show, go get into F1. And, yeah. Highly, uh, highly recommend the show. It's, it's extremely entertaining. Even if you don't like one, even if you have no interest in following F1, it's just a really, really good, like documentary series just in yeah. terms of, of entertainment value. Yeah. A lot of, le- cause it's all drama. It's all drama. drama. Yeah. Juiciness. Yeah. The, the thing I love about F1 is it's a science sport. Like, so much of it is just about engineering. Um, and about it's about business, it's about engineering, it's about uh, sports, it's about a bunch of different things. So, Yep. Yeah. All right, we'll stop talking, because I know it's David Orange kind of hates it when we talk about this stuff. Boiling hot in the studio right now. It is. Hold on. Let's look at the temperature. I, I mean, little... the temperature is not going to be as impressive as it feels. Where's my thermometer? It's, it's right there. It's 79.2 in here. Yeah, that's way too hot. Yeah. Way too All hot. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll see you. Right. Uh, Hungarian Grand Prix, who's your pick to click? Uh, uh, Max Verstappen. He's going to bounce back. Yes. All right. I, I think. Yep. All right. See you. See you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.